0: I'm just going to read one verse from a book of Ecclesiastes. If you don't have your Bible or you're not even sure what that is, don't worry. (laughs) I'll let you off the hook this morning. Thank you. I will bring this down. I feel like I'm reading at my eyeball level. Thank you. Ah. It is after... Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11. How many of you have ever heard a sermon from Ecclesiastes, by the way? Anybody? (laughs) You've been around long enough. (laughs) So, this morning, we're looking at this theme of dying to live. And uh, this morning is just an introduction. And uh, if you're here this morning and you don't know much about Jesus, but you are so intrigued with what was shared from the front of these people's stories of how God is alive, coming through after seven years of prayer, like Wendy shared, coming through 12 years ago. And for some of us know what it's like to have this amazing God uh, intervene in our lives and find us. And so I want to help us this morning just come back to the very start of this all. And uh, the theme this year is called Dying to Live. And The reason why we chose that is because it it portrays the kind of experience we have as human beings, right? We're desperate to have life, to find life, and find life to the fullest, not so? There's this aspect of our lives where we are trying to find life all the time. And if you had to ask me, what kind of characterizes humanity? What does it mean to be human, it is to have this desperate need to find meaning, fulfillment, and happiness, and in a sense, to feel completeness and lasting, lasting satisfaction, not so? And, the, and this is what it was like for me, and I'm sure it's for you. When I was, uh, well, I wasn't that long ago, hopefully, but when I was young, and when I was in high school, life is so optimistic, not so? Remember your youth? That's the reason why you wish you were young again. Because when you look at life, life being held out to you is all of these avenues of promise. Not so. That was what's for me. I couldn't wait to study. I was fortunate enough to have a degree at varsity. Because for me, all of these options of finding a life partner, creating a career, they were so promising in what they offered me. And I was excited about it. That's why we wanted to be young again. But isn't it funny? And my tenure at the Ridge, which the guys at the Ridge are much older, proves this is the older you get, the crankier you get. Not so? I'm right. Because that optimism turns to pessimism. Because you learn that all of these things that you were so excited about didn't quite produce the results you were hoping for. Not so? And this is the amazing thing. When you get older, you start saying things like, once a pothole, always a pothole. Men are all the same. they dogs. No, sir? These broad sweeping, the whole of male masculinity has disappointed me entirely. Politicians are all liars. All that your boss wants is money. And youth, look at, All the guys going, I'll never be like that. Give it 5, 10, 15 years. Do you know what life is like? And one day I hope to preach a series on the book of Ecclesiastes. It is profound. Life is like chasing after wind. You want to try and grab it. You want to try and find this fulfillment and satisfaction. You want to keep it. But when you try and grip it, you try and grasp it blows away not so and this book of ecclesiastes tells us this is nothing new it was written three thousand years ago and he hits the nail on the head the author of the book of ecclesiastes to the brilliant bullseye tea. and he describes life like this do you know why you get pessimistic about life it's because life is like getting stuck in a rat. let me tell you my story this endless cycle of repetition of life it can be so wearisome can i tell you how it plays out as a pharmacist four years the most amazing degree if anybody wants to study pharmacy please do it was one of the most awesome experiences of my life but what do they do they train you to be this idealistic person who can change the world and if I had to think about an anthem of, of, of how they try to train pharmacists and teachers, these idealistic professionals, it's that Michael Jackson song that says, Change the world, make it a better place For me and for you and the anti-human race We have people dying if you care enough for the living that's That was for me that I felt, I thought that is... Perfectly encapsulates what I thought a pharmacist would be and I finished my degree and I go to one of the top private hospitals in Cape Town to do my internship After three months, it was as if the life my life was flashing before my eyes And I was so depressed Can I tell you in my experience this endless repetition of life was like this I would count the pills Send it up to the ward. They wouldn't finish the pills. They'd send it back down. I put it back in the bottle I'd count the pulls, send it up to the ward. They would then not finish it, send it back. I almost went insane. And I thought to myself, there must be more to life than this. Anybody thought that? You get up in the morning, you eat your breakfast, you brush your teeth. You have a crazy day, you get back, you eat your supper, you brush your teeth, you go to bed. Day after day after day, and you go, this is so wearisome. I'm telling you, that's where it starts to ask the question, what the heck is all of this for? And the Ecclesiastes book says, you get to a place in your life Where this repetition and this weariness, he says, it's like this, it rains, it forms a river, it goes to the sea, the condensation happens, it rains, it forms a river, it never stops. You ask yourself, is there any meaning? And that's when he says, meaningless, meaningless, it's all meaningless. And what do we do? We try to break the rat, not so. We kick against it. Oh, that was me. So what do we do? He tells us his journey. He says, first, we go and try and search for knowledge and wisdom. We want to understand life. We want to understand its meaning. We want to try and understand how can we live a life that's going to achieve something. We're going to be responsible. We're going to be level-headed. We're going to make a difference. So what do we do? We study psychology. Have you been interested in how many thousands of people are interested in studying psychology? Who studied psychology here? I had to do it for my course. Can I tell you the amount of youth these days that say to me, last night it happened, I met a young guy, I said said to him, so what are you going to study next year? And he says, I want to study psychology. Why? Because we actually don't understand ourselves. I want to help other people understand what we don't understand. That's why psychology is so popular. And more than that is we study philosophy because we're trying to understand meaning. How many of us walk into the bookshelves and bookstores and we see the self-help books Eh? it's loads. We want to know how to be better people, how to get the most out of this life. How many of you have heard of this life coaching phenomenon? Becoming a life coach, eh? How many of you have been intrigued by the number of Oprahs that are in the world? But the problem is this, and this is what will happen, and you'll know what I'm talking about if this is you, is two problems arise when you try and make wisdom and knowledge the primary focus of understanding this life, the first is you realize that the more you study, the more you realize you actually don't know anything. That's the problem. In the medical profession, which is my profession, can I tell you, I have become so skeptical because one study will say, this is what you must do, and this is how you must eat, and this is what you must take. Give it five to 10 years. Another one will come and say, oops, we got that wrong. We have to change our way of thinking. Tim Noakes is perfect example. It split my family in two And I tell you, you know what Ecclesiastes says? It says the more you know about this life, the more you actually ache. That's what he says. It's because the more you try and find meaning and understanding, the more you realize there's despair. It's chasing after wind. But then we try something else. Well, what has all this responsible living actually brought me? Just such seriousness, such heaviness. And I remember distinct conversations with my friends, because this is the first guy is me. This first thing is I want to understand everything. And your friends will come to you, and what do you do to try and break the rats? Because you find that this whole kind of responsible living hasn't brought you what you wanted. Is to cast off restraint, have pleasure, right? People tell you, why are you so serious, buddy? Cast it off a bit, man. You only live once. Lighten up. Let's have some fun. Don't take things so seriously. And what you do is you go, well, surely then I've just got to have some more fun. And you chase pleasure. But in my life and in your life, if that's been your pursuits, you'll realize whenever you chase pleasure, there's always a hangover. There really is. You go hard drinking. The next morning you wake up, oh, hangover. Hangover. You have a one-night stand, I tell you, the next night you're still lonely. You take drugs, you get a high, but you, you're left addicted. You love food, but it makes you fat. Expensive tastes leave you in debt. Seeking pleasure makes you take dumb decisions that leave you with regrets. And you realize what was so promising and so freedom-giving, what you thought it was like chasing after wind. And in actual fact, you realize the responsible way was better, but it still left you in the dark. There's a third way that we try and break the rat. Is then you go, well, being responsible and wise and trying to live upright didn't help me. Going the other way, totally pleasure-seeking didn't help me. So what else is there left? Well, let's make a ton of money and achieve a whole bunch of things. And surely then I'll find meaning. You know what the writer says? He says, when you run after money, you learn how uncertain riches really are. You put away the perfect financial portfolio and 2008's financial crisis hits. You know, a third of people's pensions vanished overnight in the UK. There was a lady whose husband saved faithfully in our church, who invested offshore, She lost a third, it was hundreds of thousands of rands, in just a couple of days. Your business partner that you did business with stabs you in the back, runs off with loads of cash. You realize, this is the thing, that in actual fact you're going to die, and you can't take a cent with you. And who are you going to leave it to? Some delinquent relation that can't even manage pocket money. That's it, I'm telling you. Some of you here have businesses and the curse of your life is your son or daughter or whoever else is going to inherit it can't manage even their hairstyle. <laughs> I'm telling you. You work for 25 years, you get retrenched. You know what that's like? Just before your pension. You get divorced and your ex takes half of your sweat, blood and tears. And the real thing about wealth is this, is you wake up one day and you realize what you have had to lay on the altar in order to obtain your wealth costs too much, broken marriage, estranged children, health problems, years of extreme stress of dealing with debtors, staff, and the sleepless nights that these things bring. Let me tell you, when I see a wealthy man, I see a, or woman, I see a man woman that sacrificed much. Some of us know what that's like. Can I tell you, that the biggest thing about all of this is, no one's asked the most important question of all, which is, what happens when I die? You see, we are so obsessed with chasing after life, we never prepare ourselves for actually what is the possibility of what happens after death. Can I tell you, as a pastor, one of the most profound things that I have seen is how un- prepared, people are to die. And Ecclesiastes says, you've searched your whole life for all of this. And when the one moment that you've been trying to run away from comes to your life, you are terrified when death starts knocking on your door. We have to start understanding where all of this meaningless, this sense of meaninglessness comes from. And the Ecclesiastes writer says it like this. It is looking for life from what is made, not from the one who made it. He puts it like this. It is looking for life under the sun is you are only seeing and looking for life in what is created. You don't understand that actually you have to look behind the sun or beyond the sun to the one who made it. If you can see that your real need for life is coming from the one who's made it all, life is meaningless. Why? Because Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says, God has put eternity in our hearts. What does that mean? It means this. Is that we as human beings were made for God and to enjoy Him. And here's the kicker. Only an eternal God can satisfy the eternal need in us. Can I help you this morning understand what your desperation is for? It's not actually life. It's actually for God. I'm going to say it again. This desperation that we experience as human beings is not actually for life. It's for God. Because he has put eternity in your hearts. And what can A created world that has a start and will have an end. And what can human beings that have a start, they're not eternal. What are these things that we are running after to try and find life's meaning from? They are not going to satisfy the need in us because only an eternal God can satisfy an eternal need. And the desperate cry of your heart is not to find life in what is made, it's to find it in God himself. And the second you can realize that the cross makes so much sense... Because until that happens in your life, that you acknowledge that there is nothing that has been created, there is nothing under the sun that can give you what you are longing for, you're not ready for the cross. Because God is the only one who truly understands your need. Is that what you are hungering for? It's not for the perfect body, it's not for the perfect bank balance. It's not for the perfect house and home. It's for a perfect God. And this morning, we have to look at how is this cross so powerfully coming to us and the reason why Jesus came and had to die on it and why we call it Good Friday. Have you ever asked yourself that question? What can there be possibly good about celebrating a crucifixion of an innocent man that had nothing really to die for, or had reason to be uh, given the death penalty? Why do we call it Good Friday? Well, we have to ask ourselves this. What the heck went wrong? If we were designed for God, if we were designed to enjoy Him and find our life satisfaction in Him, what happened that somehow we get born with this experience of being orphans as human beings? Lost, the Bible talks about it. Desperately trying to find our way through a life that makes no real sense. It comes down to this thing. Something called sin. And it's sin that separates us from God. In Romans 6, chapter 6, verse 32, it says, The wages, the consequences of sin is death. And this is why we're looking for life. Don't you think it's crazy this morning? We can be breathing, walking, moving, and still be looking for life. We're living, but we're actually dead. That's the human experience. And so, Paul says it like this. He says, the only way you find what you're really looking for is if God deals with the problem that's caused it all it is dealing with that punishment and penalty of sin and that way God deals with it is he steps in through his son Jesus Christ he pays our penalty of sin which brings death So that he can give us what we desperately need and are looking for, which is life. And that is why the cross is called good. Can I say to you this morning? When we look at Jesus, we look at life. And you might be asking yourself the question, what is God offering me if I come to him this morning? What is the one thing that he will give me if I look to Jesus and I recognize that his death on the cross was for my death, for the penalty and punishment of my sin? What will he give me? My friend, he will give you life. He'll give you life. He says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, he says, he made him who knew no sin. To be sinner on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What that means is that death you see on the cross that we celebrate on Friday, it was meant for you and me. That's our experience. We didn't even have to wait till we experienced death of our body. We experienced it spiritually now. When we see that cross, we see death being paid for, done for. We see sin being canceled out through the cross of Jesus Christ so that those who look to him, those who stretch out a hand and say, God, I see that that death was my death and I need that death to pay for my death. In that moment, God gives you life. And it's not life that just lasts like a chasing after wind. Do you remember I said this life is a cry in our hearts for God himself. Is the cross, Is the moment he gives you himself in Jesus. It's the moment when God says, I'm gonna give you eternal life in my son. Why is it this morning that we can come as a people and we can celebrate and tell stories of God's goodness, and His grace, and His mercy, and His incredible compassion. It's because a Christian is somebody who has encountered eternal life. John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And can I say to you this morning, if you are in the space of recognizing this death inside of you, This morning we want to say God is being offered out to you through the cross of Jesus Christ. And the way you get it is you have to recognize this. That this old way of living, of chasing after wind, you have to die to. It's what the Bible calls repentance. Of thinking you can find life in any other place other than God. Can I say to you this morning, it's the same for the Christian. As we fall back into this thinking of going, we can find life outside of Jesus. And this morning, the start of our experiencing Sunday, which is looking at what is life coming to us in the full, is remembering this. Church, for us, we remember this morning, there is nowhere else that we find life but in Jesus. It's not our money. It's not how cute our children are. I've got great kids. It's not our looks. It's not even our successes or achievements. And I tell you, for the Christian, we can run after things that bring death. This morning we celebrate Good Friday and we're going to celebrate communion because this is where we find life. It's in God Himself being offered out to us. And if you haven't done that yet, What time is the next service? Great, we're going to do a speed communion. Is this? Is you have to come to a place in your life where Jesus becomes your only hope for what you're looking for? You with me? So, Pierre, would you come up quickly? Wow, this feels like a throne. they have been newly recovered. Where's Shane? Do you know what we're doing on Good Friday? Is we're recognizing where life comes from. To be a Christian is to be someone who says, I find life nowhere else. And do you know why we take bread? And do you know why we take the cup from Matthew 26 as it says? Is what does food do to your tummy? It? It's? satisfies, right? What does fruit juice, wine, do to your thirst? It quenches. It says whoever will take hold of Christ will be satisfied. Is that you this morning? Is that where you're finding life? This is only for the Christian. A Christian, someone who's been persuaded that this is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you're not at that place yet, don't take it. We'll respect you all the more for it. But if it is you this morning saying, this is where I find my life, in Jesus, you take it and you eat and you drink of it and you celebrate your source. And if you do it for the first time today, you do it with this understanding that this is the only place where we find life. It's in Jesus. So, let's close our eyes. I'm going to ask Pierre if you'll pray for the wine, for the fruit You must change to pray for the bread. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the blood of the lamb that washes away the sins of the world. Without that, we're lost. We're destitute we were without hope. We're without purpose. And so thank you, Lord, that you've revolutionized our lives, transformed us beyond measure. We glorify you. We thank you. And we commit our lives to you afresh, Lord, in your wonderful name. Amen. Thank you, Father. As we're about to take part and eat this bread, we just remember Jesus. I remember that when he died that curtain was torn in our father and that just enabled us to come and, and meet with you as an individual. We can each and every one of us can commune with you because of Jesus' death. We thank you for that. So when we eat this bread, we remember that in Jesus' name. We're gonna hand out the elements. We're gonna ask you to just hold on to them and we're gonna eat as a family. Is Dane here? Is Dan. Let's take this moment to celebrate life in Jesus. Precious is my saves blood the beauty of heaven wrapped in my shape. Does everybody have the image of the my chains are gone church as we take this bread and as we take this cup we proclaim life eternal life it's amazing we have eternal life in Jesus and so Lord as we take this cup we remember that you said this is my body and this is my blood broken for you This, this amazing Representation of you yourself satisfying us. Coming down to heaven, Lord. Being Emmanuel, God with us. We're so grateful this morning. As a church, we drink and we eat with this boldness and confidence that it is here, Lord, where we find eternal life. And we're praying, Lord, as a church that this gospel will not only grow in the city, but, Lord, in our own hearts. As we realize what motivates us in this life, it is a desperation for you. And our proclamation to the world around us is saying we found Christ as the only thing that satisfies. It's washed us, cleansed us, forgiven us, given us eternal life a hope in the future. We praise you this morning, Jesus. We honor you. We love you. We're so thankful. Let's eat and drink together. so lord as we are going to leave from this place now we ask that you would just be blessed that you'd remember lord each of us as we go as we celebrate good friday with family with friends we're asking jesus in our hearts would be alive to this amazing death of jesus christ has brought us life we thank you so much for this we bless you for it in jesus mighty name amen amen